This episode is brought to you by R1RCM, a leading provider of technology-driven solutions that transform the financial performance of hospitals, health systems, and medical groups. R1 delivers proven, scalable operating models that power sustainable improvements to net patient revenue while reducing operating costs. To learn how you can build a future-ready revenue cycle today, visit us at www.r1rcm.com slash Beckers. Hello, and welcome to the Beckers Hospital Review Podcast. My name is Will Riley from R1RCM. Today, I am joined by Alan Yordi. Alan is the past president at Peace Health. Welcome to the podcast, Alan. Thank you, Will. It's great uh, to glad have you. To, glad to be here. Um, I've also done a, a few other things, but uh, absolutely great to be part of the conversation. Tell us about a few of the other things oh. you've done. Give us a <laughs> give us a quick sketch. Uh, in addition to having run the health system for more than a decade uh, and uh, spent 25 years with Peace Health, I also have served on a number of boards of directors, including SCL Health in Denver, Colorado. And uh, during that six-year tenure, we worked through the merger, which is now Intermountain, as uh, uh, was concluded uh, late last year. I've also uh, chaired the Catholic Health Association, United States. And uh, now I use some of that experience and work with hospitals, small to large, all over the country, focusing on everything from strategy uh, to ambulatory and ancillary service optimization. So it's been a great career. Perfect. And I'm looking forward to talking to you about aspects of that. Sure. So thank you. So what I'd like to do is ask you some questions about some of the things that are top of mind for healthcare leaders as we go into 2024, really. We're going to cover the waterfront of a few different uh, knotty areas. We'll try and unpick them. Um, we'll begin with perhaps one of the naughtiest, which is around uh, payer relationships. Um, payer provider relationships, obviously, there's always an element of challenge there. There has been for years. It's a contract negotiation, a contract management, a complex relationship. But it seems that over the last couple of years in particular, that relationship has become more challenged, probably by the financial environment that we found ourselves in. Do you agree with that? Have you seen an extra level of sort of contention in that relationship emerge? Uh, no question. It's That has changed a lot. I should say, by way of introduction, I negotiated my first managed care contract in 1986 and have negotiated a number since. But uh, it is the relationships have changed. They were very collegial early on in that progression. But in the last, I would say, five to 10 years, they've become much more challenged and and for good reason. Uh, one is that payers uh, are increasingly, especially payers for commercial contracts, are increasingly uh, responsible for a smaller share of the overall payment, yet a bigger percentage of the overall margin. And that is very different than it was a few years ago, 20 years ago, for instance. What's really challenged the last few years is the pandemic, where you saw uh, utilization come down, medical loss ratios come down, payers done very, have done very well, while providers have struggled. And they've struggled to have huge increases in cost, 
and not corresponding increases in revenue. Now, I would say, you know, there's a commercial side and then there's a public side. And I think we have to be clear about both. Mm -hmm. You know, the commercial payers on one hand, um, rightfully so, don't want to carry the water for all the public programs. And yet public payment is heavily constrained and regulated. There's no negotiation. For Medicare and Medicaid, you get 3 4% in a good year. Um, on the other hand, payers see themselves carrying a larger burden to make up for the public programs. So it's, it's a ready-made environment for conflict. Mm -hmm. um, what I would say is that the, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but the Medicare Advantage program has become a lightning rod for payer conflict. And it's become a lightning rod in part because every payer has different rules for how they manage that program. The, the myths that I think we've created in public policy is that we haven't created standards that everyone follows. Mm -hmm. And so uh, payers have gotten relatively creative in creating denial payment rules, denial of service uh, audits that are all different. And that has caused providers a lot of challenge. You know, the rev cycle business in healthcare has gotten extraordinarily complex. Yeah, yeah. So I've worked with a couple of groups that have said, that's our issue. We know we've got to have relationships with a payer, but we want to start with a payer who's an intermediary for, let's say, a Medicaid contract. And let's create standards that we all live by. And once we agree to those standards, those will be the standards we live by. And the payers, if they choose to live by those standards, will contract all day long. If, if they'd rather not, then we'll probably pass. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much the payment that we argue over and, and debate, but it's the rules around the payment. Yeah, right. And that's sort of the new, the new area of concern in MA. How how much do you think that this um, this conflict between commercial payer and provider at the moment is sort of setting back the cause of more patient centric mechanisms for delivering healthcare? You mentioned negotiating yeah. your first value based contract way back when. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, is the situation serious enough that we're seeing healthcare not be able to advance because of it? You know, well, the we're in an environment of what I guess I'd call disintegration of the healthcare service spectrum. If you remember 15 years ago, we talked a lot about seamless care of patients and everybody, a lot of our health systems built primary care. We then built a seamless uh, EMR so patients could get access. We built a broad array of services. So we vertically integrated. We could deliver almost everything and we would contract with payers to do so. Mm -hmm. Today, payers are actually pay, pay providers. I mean, you, you have payers like United Optum that indeed is a payer, but it's also becoming a provider, mm -hmm. but it's not becoming a seamless provider. It's a provider that's picking particular services uh, to engage in, leaving others to other service providers. And so all of a sudden now, if you're a patient, uh, you might have to look at two or three different EMRs, two or three different uh, um, uh, access points, and you end up doing the coordinate. Now, I think we're starting to see 
some thaw in that relationship. And that's where I'd say from a patient standpoint, regardless of who delivers the service, there has to be some glue that holds this seamless network of care together. And right now, we don't have a lot of that. No. And because of this adversary relationship that you mentioned. And presumably that seamless provider should be the provider, right? That the patient turns to and is able to. Ideally, however, the patient might turn to a variety of providers. Mm -hmm. So you might, your primary care physician might be an optum physician. Mm -hmm. You then might go to an optum ambulatory surgery center. And if you need acute care, you then might go to an acute care hospital that's completely independent where your providers either don't have access to care or access to that hospital. Um, and might actually, you might have to do a lot of work yourself as a family or a patient to keep your care integrated. That's the challenge we face. Let's talk about some other aspects of that sort of fallout from that relationship. Um, we're seeing in our data on the financial side, a lot of a large increase in the number of denials that right. health systems are dealing with. And that brings with it then an administrative burden uh, for physicians, for revenue cycle mm -hmm. teams and so yeah. on. Have you, were you seeing that play out at, at peace as well? Uh, you we're, I'm seeing it playing out in a number of places. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it's not only hospitals, but it's ambulatory surgery centers, independent ambulatory sure. surgery centers. It's across the spectrum. And uh, the the rules, the varied rules for uh, approval, first of all, for utilization management, and then for denials, and then for denial audits are all different depending upon the payer. Yeah. For, and this is Medicare Advantage now, so I want to stick with that for just mm -hmm. a moment. But it's even true in commercial. Um, and to some degree, to a little lesser degree, if you see Medicaid contractors, for instance, in Washington State, we have a, four significant Medicaid contractors. Their rules are all a little different for how you manage that. So if you're a hospital or a healthcare system trying to manage four different methodologies, for approving care, it's quite a challenge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and that's what I think providers are trying to figure out and react to. That is not a recipe for long-term success, I would say, neither from a patient's perspective or from a health system perspective. No. It adds too much cost to you've, the system. You've mentioned a sort of inconsistency a couple of times. Um, what, what role do you think are regulators and our lawmakers can play in helping try to limit that and make the environment more consistent and predictable for providers to operate in? Well, there are bills pending before Congress to use the same utilization, denial management, it's the same rules of the road, basically, uh, for fee-for-service Medicare as for Medicare Advantage. Um, so far, hasn't they haven't gotten a lot of traction, but I think the day is coming when as the drumbeat increases uh, regarding these issues and the cost associated with these issues, you're going to see, I think, the people in the political realm pay more attention. But ultimately, on the public programs, that's really where it starts. There's some things we can do privately. So some groups I'm involved with, for instance, are uh, working with 
one Medicaid plan in Washington. They're saying, let's develop rules of the road and then we'll use those for everybody. Right. Um, which makes a whole lot of sense. At the end of the day, costs go down, patient access goes up. Everybody knows what the rules are. Right. And I think that's where we're headed. Public sector clearly has a role to play for the public programs. And after all, for most hospitals and health systems, that represents 50 to 70% of their, sure. Role, sure. Of their revenue, certainly. It feels like providers struggle to be proactive around some aspects of the government environment, the regulatory environment. Why do you think that is? And what do you think providers can do about that? Well, there, first of all, that's a, that's a multifaceted question because one, on one hand, you have the political side of that. So the only way you gain power is through your associations and through your joint uh, lobbying activity. So that let's set that aside for a moment. Sure. Because almost all of us are involved in that in one way or another. <clears throat> the second thing, though, I believe that we have to do is begin uh, in our systems to exert influence that we do have with payers uh, and work with them to on these questions of common practice. And we can do that, especially with alliances that band together, that have the ability to do that without, and, and it's really not so much a matter of antitrust. It's not, because you're not talking about payment rates. You're not talking about the dollars that you're getting reimbursed for. You're talking about the rules of the road. Processes. Yeah. Precisely. And you want common processes. So um, that's, that's step one. Providers can do that all day long. Now, take that to its logical extreme. If you can't make progress there, you always have the ability to terminate a contract and said, say to the payer, let's come back for another day and start over. Yeah. And we've seen some of that uh, around the country now. I think it's the tip of the iceberg about where people can afford to do that in a particular market. They're saying, if we can't get to yes on these things, then we have to use other points of leverage. Yeah. Okay. And I think we'll start to see that as well. So yes is the answer. It's you have to work on multiple fronts on the individual contract negotiation front with individual payers, but then on the policy front as well. Yeah. Another front that health providers have to work on is of course the patient uh, front and delivering care, Right. not just delivering care, but delivering a good experience around that care an administrative experience that is reasonable for the patient. Yep. Um, it's obviously a very complex system, but patients expect or patient expectations, I should say, have changed, I think, in yes. the last 10 years, right? As we use technology, but also just as society changes, right? We bring different ideas into our experiences and interactions with all of the companies yeah. that we work with. How how were you, How have you been seeing those patient expectations playing out uh, in the last couple of years? Patients have the same expectations of us that they do of Amazon and Walmart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they expect value. They expect ease of access and not a lot of hoop jumping. And I think we're still learning how to do that in a better way. And most importantly, and this is where we're as an industry, I think behind, really behind the times, they expect a digital experience. Mm -hmm. So part of the access is digital access part of it is people access part of it is virtual appointment access mm -hmm. uh, part of it is ease of getting pharmaceuticals in into your home 
uh, you know, so that you, you can take the meds you need. So it, it, the real change has been the diminished old paradigm of going to visit your doctor and that's where everything starts. Mm-hmm. Today, you have multiple points of access and ease of access is absolutely critical. People don't want runarounds. I mean, no. we, don't, we, we expect to be able to mail things back to Amazon when it comes to us and it isn't right. Right. We expect the same thing of our physicians and uh, our our hospitals. And it's a complex mixture, it seems to me, of technology and people at the healthcare provider mm-hmm. side working together to deliver that access. Because I might want to do everything on my phone. Someone else might equally want to be in person or use technology to some degree, but also r- rely on some in-person uh, interaction. So it's not just about putting tools in the hands of patients and expecting them to get on with it. There's a big aspect to the provider mm-hmm. and the provider workforce as well, right? As to how you t- respond to that, how you deliver that, I think. Yeah, I think 10 years ago, we referred to that as mass customization. Yeah. In other words, yeah. every generation has a slightly different way of accessing care. Right. And so we have to tailor that access and that care to the generations we're serving. Now, right now we're serving a lot of baby boomers and people running up to their baby boom years. That's gonna change. And I would prognosticate that once we get the millennials and others coming up through the system, it's gonna be a heavily digital experience. And that those generations will wanna darken the doors of our institutions much less frequently than those folks who are the seniors now. Yeah, just a difference in in access. So we have to start building those systems and any system that doesn't have a really robust ambulatory care strategy that has a digital uh, piece to it. Well, I think be uh, will struggle to be prepared for what's coming. So it's time. It's time that we start thinking the best systems that we see are those who now have a senior vice president, for instance, for ambulatory care. It's like, you know, we had presidents of our hospitals. Now we have systems that are saying, we've got a senior vice president whose responsibility it is to build out an ambulatory infrastructure. That includes all the ancillaries, you know, how you access us without darkening the door of one of our hospitals. Right, right. And, uh, you know, all of us, you know, have been involved in that for the last few years as we joint venture with physicians, you know, as we create pharmacy programs that are easily accessible or more easily accessible, uh, make imaging centers much, you know, you don't have to go to the bowels of the hospital to find your x-ray right. machine. Right. So all of that's changing and it will change quickly because the bulk of our interactions with healthcare are not acute care. Right. They are ambulatory. Yeah. And this is where we're all heading. Alan, thank you so much. It's been sure. fascinating hearing you talk about payers, government regulations, uh, and of course the patient themselves. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Well, I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Will.